Welcome to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. Every Nation is a Bible-believing, multi-ethnic, non-denominational church hoping to transform the world one life at a time. We hope you enjoy this podcast. Hey everyone, PA here, Pastor Adam Bird, and thanks for tuning in to our Every Nation New Jersey Church channel. And uh, listen, I got news for you this morning, and God has got a word for you. God's got a word for you this morning. And so before we dive into the scriptures this morning, let me um, let me uh, take us back in time, all right? Uh, the year was 1987 uh, in Detroit, Michigan, Joe Louis Arena. Um, it was the 1987 NHL entry draft, and uh, your pastor uh, was rated 12th overall uh, to go in the first round of the NHL draft. And if you didn't know this, I'm from Detroit, so this was this epic moment for me and my family. Is and so. Um, uh, back in the day, I think we have an image of it, is, uh, man, I was rocking the mullet, so uh, it was business in the front and party in the back, and for the record, I, I think the mullet's making a comeback right now, God help us, and, uh, and I remember we were, we were so geeked up, I had to get my, my draft day suit, and got to remember, this is back in 87 with Don Johnson and Miami Vice, and so I'm, I'm rocking the, the white uh, sport coat with, with the pastel pink shirt underneath it, with the blue knit tie with that little bar thing that lifts up the tie, right? Man, I was looking and fly back in the day, man. Get off me, okay? And so, uh, man, it was draft day. And I remember sitting up in the stands in Joe Louis Arena, and I just kept waiting and waiting to hear my name called. And finally, uh, not until the second round, 39th overall, I heard these, these, these words, uh, the Hartford Whalers select from the North Bay Centennials, Adam Burt. You know, and, and in that moment, you know what? Everything changed in my life. Like, like when I heard my name, I, I went down and they actually gave me the team's jersey and I, I put on the jersey. And from that moment forward, there were things in my life that changed. Like, like for example, um, I played for a new team. Uh, I had new teammates with a new coach and a new game plan. Um, I had a new role to play uh, on this team. And so all these new things were happening. And I think this is a great launching point uh, to get jump back into our series that we've just called the ABCs of faith. Today, we're letter C, and C stands for the church for the church. And uh, man, for those of you not familiar, you know, the, the, the church, the, the word for church in your New Testament is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia, and it, it means called out ones. That there was this moment in time, man, when God chose you, he called you out of darkness and into light. Uh, you went down and you put on the jersey, if you will. Do you know, it says this, that, that as many of you that have been baptized into Christ, We've actually put Christ on. Like we have a new team we play for, Team Jesus. Uh, it says in Matthew 22, verse 14, it, it, Jesus highlights this idea of, of being drafted or being chosen, called out. Matthew 22:14 14 says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. Like, like there, was, there were thousands of people in Joe Louis Arena, but only a few got to hear their names called. And, uh, and so, so salvation, you are called out, chosen by God. And so uh, not only do you have a new team now, Team Jesus, but, but you actually have a, a new coach and a new game plan. Like, um, 
there I had a friend, Bobby Hollick. He play, played for the uh, uh, New Jersey Devils. And I recall the first year they ever won the Stanley Cup. And they had a really mediocre season. But when they hit the playoffs, they just played out of this world. They, they just could not be beaten. And they, they upset the number one seed team in the league. And they won their first ever Stanley Cup. And I remember asking Bobby, I'm like, Bobby, what in the world, man? What are you guys doing so different? And he said, Adam, we finally figured it out. He said, we listened to the coach. We follow his game plan and we win. And I think that's our uh, appeal. Uh, my appeal to you this morning is, you know, when you're chosen by God, you have a new coach. And guess what? You have a new game plan. And as you follow this game plan, you're going to win. You're going to win. And so uh, we also, do you know what? Uh, we also have new teammates when we're chosen or called out, added to the church. And so uh, that like, like hockey is kind of an odd sport in that, you know, you can get traded to different teams. And I remember... I was traded back in 1999 to the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I had a, a new jersey, so I would have new teammates. And it was kind of a little bit awkward when I uh, walked into the, the locker room because three of the guys uh, I had fought in the past. So one guy was a guy, Rick Tockett. Uh, I shouldn't say I fought him. He just beat the snot out of me. He uh, blew up the left side of my face. I have uh, four plates and 12 screws over here. And, and so uh, that was talk. And then I fought another guy, Keith Jones, who's oddly enough, is now the president of the Philadelphia Flyers. And, and I remember uh, when I saw Jonesy without his equipment on, I was like, oh man, I let that guy beat me up, all right? Uh, but not to be outdone, there was another guy, they call him Rod the Bod. And Rod the Bod and I, we fought each other probably a week before I got traded to the team. And so talk about awkward. I was like, hey man, that was a good one. You got me, you know? <laughs> but, but how crazy is it that at one moment we could be enemies, but when there's a jersey change, now suddenly enemies become brothers, become teammates. And that's our story in the body of Christ uh, in the church. Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28 says this, For as many of you that have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Remember we said it's a new team. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so, I mean, you got to get this. Like, you know, in the early church, Jews and Gentiles hated each other. And it wasn't just kind of politically correct. They don't they don't say it to your face type thing. No, they were overt. I mean, they called the Gentiles dogs. And man, they just didn't, they wouldn't uh, spend any time together. Uh, that the rich and the poor were never together. That, that women and children were considered lower class uh, than Hebrew men. And yet what happens? Now, there's a leveling of the playing field in the body of Christ. In the church, it says we're all one in Christ. In fact, we see this playing out amongst the 12 disciples. You know, I know when they start listing like genealogies or the list of the 12 disciples, we would just want to flip the page. But you need to pay attention to all the members of the 12 disciples because one is a guy by the name of Simon the Zealot. And if you don't know what a zealot it, it was a, it was a Jewish extremist that with uh, by military means or violence or terrorism they wanted to uproot Rome uh, out of Israel, right? And and so you get that guy, and then you get Matthew, the tax collector. He was in bed with Rome, right? And so you get these two guys together. What? That's a, that's a powder keg ready to go off, but not in the kingdom of God. See, in the church, there's something that supersedes uh, our differences. And that's what? Man, our oneness in Jesus Christ. And so um, uh, not only do we have a, a new coach and a new game plan, but we also have a new purpose and a new role to play. 
And get this, you get to play in the kingdom of God. So I, I don't know, like sometimes, man, early in my, my church walk, I thought, man, man, I, I love Jesus, but what a boring life. It's like kind of do good, whatever that means. Try not to swear too much and just kind of hang on until Jesus comes back. Um, but that's just, that's, that's not our story. Man, God has a purpose, a plan, and a mission for your life. In fact, Paul would say it this way in Ephesians 2.10, that God has good works. He's prepared for you to walk in them. Is that amazing? Every time you wake up, you know you have purpose, significance, and meaning because God has good works for you to walk in today. Uh, the psalmist in Psalm 139, he actually says this, um, that, uh, that every, uh, all our days were written in God's book. Like, how, how crazy is that? You uh, are, have, a, have a part to play in the story uh, of God. Um, I, I've, I've talked about this before, but there's a, the, the, the largest stained glass uh, window on the planet. I think we have an image of it. Uh, it it's in a church in, in Kansas. And get this, it's, it's 100 feet by, uh, wide by 40 feet high. This thing is massive. But, but what you need to see is, um, actually, it's, it's a picture of three trees. The story our life is playing out in. And you can barely see it, but there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden. And then at the, the other end of the spectrum is the tree of life at the end of all time. And right in the middle, what's there? Man, the cross, the tree that Jesus was hung on. And somehow, some way, your life is playing out between these trees. You have a part to play in the story of God. And listen, uh, so we have uh, actually our church uh, in Manhattan there was just all these miracles and things God was doing in people's life. And uh, my pastor, Pastor Ron Lewis, he, he put together a book, just all these things uh, that God did, these miracles in Manhattan, and he put it uh, into a book. And you know what's crazy? I'm in the book, man. I'm in the book. And I had a, a small part to play, but listen, I played my part in the book. And God has a part for you to play in the story of God. You have a new role, a new purpose when you're part of the ecclesia, the church, the called out ones. And so um, uh, I, I can remember, so probably about, man, eight to 10 years ago, it's been a while now, uh, I, I went on a missions trip uh, over to uh, uh, to Israel. It wasn't really a missions trip. It was more like a tourist trip, right? But, but listen, I, I went kicking and screaming. And I want to tell you this. It was one of the greatest experiences of my life. Like, um, this was, it was so funny. We, when we flew to Israel and we were staying downtown in Jerusalem at the, I believe it's called the, the Hotel David. And, and in there, for whatever reason, I immediately got bumped up to the presidential suite of the hotel. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, can I give you the backstory? Uh, many of you know I'm, I'm chaplain for the Jets, and I was uh, bringing some of the Jet players with me, and at the last minute, they had to cancel. Uh, so for they thought I was a Jet player. And so the, the manager of the hotel was a Jet fan, and so he bumped me up to the presidential suite. Uh, when I got into this presidential suite, two stories tall, uh, there was a giant New York Jets cake in there. I think we have an image of it. Man, so I go in, man, I got cake, presidential suite. I told you it was an awesome trip, right? And so it was funny, and if you're, you're asking yourself, well, did, did you just, did you tell them you weren't a player? No, I didn't tell them I wasn't a player. Man, I just, uh, kidding me, I went up, I put my presidential robe on, and I ate cake, man. You want a piece <laughs> and so so we had this this epic trip but but listen as we were there 
we went to these sites uh, that Jesus went with his disciples, and we went up to the, the northeastern portion of Israel, to Caesarea Philippi. Uh, and then when you go there, um, there's this huge mountain, and at the base of the mountain, I think we have an image of it, there's these, these caves and these caverns, and come to find out, these caverns were called the gates of hell. And what would happen, uh, back in uh, Israel's, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, they, they, they were uh, pagan worshiping uh, uh, Baal and Asherah. And then later on, the Greeks would worship um, uh, the Greek gods, like, like Pan uh, was worshipped here at, at the, the gates of hell. And so there's all this idolatry and wickedness taking place there uh, at this time. And here's why this, scene, this, this place is so iconic. It was there that Jesus took the 12 disciples and he asked them this question that they had to answer and you have to answer. He said this, who do you say I am? And Peter, who always gets it wrong, crushes it and gets it right. He says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16 and uh, verse 18. Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Does that, that change the picture for you? Like there's this mountainous uh, rock uh, in front of us and these little caves underneath where this idolatry, the gates of hell were there. And you know what's crazy? Thousands of years later, after this moment, um, the gates of hell, it's just a tourist attraction. But do you know what? Man, those 12 disciples, uh, the, 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 the people of God, the called out ones, they went from 12 men to today, 2.2 billion Christ followers, called out ones, the ecclesia. Man, the gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. And so in your Bible, there's all these metaphors uh, for the church. And um, uh, one, one big one uh, is this idea of, of the church is a bride. And so uh, if you pay attention, there's all these little uh, allusions to, to us being married. The church is the bride of Christ. Like Jesus says, hey, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Do you know that when someone got engaged or betrothed, the husband would go away and he would build a place on his father's house for his bride. Then he would come back and get his bride and take her home, right? And so that's a picture of what Jesus is doing as we wait for his return uh, to come and, and, um, and, and rescue us, the last coming of Christ. Ephesians chapter uh, uh, 5, verse 31 to 32 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and, Jesus, and Paul says this, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Notice this, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Right? We see at the end of the time, the great wedding supper of the Lamb, where Jesus is united uh, with his bride, the church. And so, Listen, I, I remember like when I got engaged to Susan, uh, we were really young, my wife Susan. So we were young. I was 19. Uh, she was 20, right? Because she's considerably older than me. And, uh, and I can remember uh, before giving her the ring, I was like, I, I got on my knees and, and I was going to pray and ask God just to be sure, God, is Susan the one? Yes, right? I wasn't going give, to give God even a second to say no, right? And so I pray, pray that type of thing. And, and then I, I can remember the night that I, I gave her uh, her engagement ring and asked her to be my wife. And uh, for the record, men, do it right. 
you know your girl's going to have to tell this story for the rest of her life. And so uh, I was young and dumb and did it horribly. Uh, if I could go back and the, the, they ever get that flux capacitor and you can go back in time, uh, I'm going to go beat my, myself up and say, no, don't do that. <laughs> so, but, but here's just something, man, uh, about, about this ring. Do you know what, uh, when, when you exchange rings uh, with your spouse, your fiance, whoever, it's not just an exchange of rings, but it's an exchange of life. It's, it's I, I belong to you and you belong to me. And here's why that's so amazing is, do you know, it says in the, in the book of Ephesians that God gives us the sign of his seal is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And uh, husbands, you can listen to me on this one. Uh, I promise you, you're going to lose your wedding ring at some point. Um, I discipled my men like this. Uh, when you lose your wedding band, um, it's you tell your wife you didn't lose it. You simply misplaced it, okay? And that's our line, and we stick with it. Um, and so I've misplaced mine about three times, okay? Uh, but here's the great news. You know, you can't misplace or lose the Holy Spirit, that Jesus, he sets his seal of his spirit on the inside of you, and you're forever, for all of time, and all of eternity, you belong to God. And so... Um, I, I hear just, uh, you know, I got to do a lot of weddings and marriages, and, I, and I'm just so disappointed at times by how people, they want to hedge in their marriage vows. Like, uh, like or, or people want to, like, they, they do prenups, or, I mean, they, they want exit clauses, or things like this. And, in fact, I'm recently uh, heard about, like, how people want to change their vows. Uh, this one more recently, instead of saying, as long as we both shall live, they'll just slide in this little cute saying, as long as we both shall love. Uh, it sounds really sweet, but you know what? It, it's just code. Can I tell you what it means? It means uh, as long as you still give me some little feelies and stuff, or as long as you're still pretty, or as long as you're, see, you, you're just waiting for an excuse to bail. Um, uh, Pastor uh, Ben Stewart, he tells the story of uh, uh, this beautiful couple. And I don't know how else to explain it. Like, did you ever see people and you just look at them and you're like, those are beautiful people, right? That's these two uh, that are engaged to be married. And uh, I think he was like a professional baseball player and she was like a model or something like that. But this the be these be beautiful couple and they love Jesus. And uh, But here's what happened. Um, uh, just a, a few weeks prior to the wedding, uh, she was diagnosed with MS and, and it, it was it was aggressive and, and moving fast and so this was going to be an extremely debilitating uh, disease for her and so she she pulled her fiance aside and she let him know hey you didn't sign up for this and so if you want to bail now I will I will forgive you I totally understand and, and I love and respect you and he's like what in the world are you kidding me I'm marrying you and so if you can you can feel the weight and the gravity with me as they're standing at the altar exchanging vows and and, and she gets to the part where she says and, and in sickness and she just gets stuck and, and in health, right? And she gets out her vows, you know, in tears as she's trembling. And, and he just didn't miss a beat as he gets up and he, he looks at his wife and he says, you know, I take you to be my beloved wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, or for worse, for richer and poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. And I'm so thankful, man, that Jesus, um, he says, he did us that way. He's like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because we are the bride of Christ. 
who Jesus loves. And so uh, today, uh, it kind of blows my mind. I guess it doesn't really blow my mind. Some of it's justified, but um, it feels like it's just kind of fair game or fashionable to bash, bash the church. And um, listen, I understand like some of the things uh, that, that church, they've earned uh, like a little bit of a bad reputation, but some of it, man, is just, it, it's just a little over the top. And so uh, like, I just don't think it's a good idea to criticize something that Jesus loves so much that he died for. I just don't think that's a great idea. In fact, um, I can listen, this hits home a little bit. When my wife and I were, were newly married, my, my grandmother, for whatever reason, man, she would always kind of nitpick and, and kind of bash my, my new wife, uh, Susan. And so she would say these kind of hurtful little diggy things. And I could see it kind of wearing on my, my new wife. And, and so um, uh, finally, over time, it got to the point where I was like, I had to pull my grandmother inside and be like, listen, if you're going to speak to my wife like this, uh, you are not going to get to see us or grandkids or whatever, because we will not, we're, we're not going to, I'm not going to subject her to that. And so um, uh, don't, don't mishear me. I'm not advocating uh, like tough love uh, to your grandparents. What I am advocating is that you champion uh, your bride, you champion your wife. And so for the record, to this day, man, my wife still talks about that moment. Like, thank you for choosing me uh, instead of your family, you know? And so, um, uh, like, like, how odd would it be if, if after service someone came up to me and they're like, P.A., P.A., you're the greatest. Man, I love you. I love your sermons. And uh, he says, but man... Your wife, Susan, man, I can't stand her, right? That would be absurd. Like, like you know we can't be boys uh, if that's your attitude. And so to see kind of this, this critiquing and criticizing and uh, dismantling of the church, I just don't think it's a good idea. And, and for the record, do you know the church does some beautiful and amazing things? Like, I want to champion some of those today. Like, uh, I don't know if you ever heard that, man, some people actually believe that the church is bad uh, for society. Uh, can I just tell you something? Like, do you know what all the stats bear out? That, that the more uh, church attendance you have in your city, uh, the, the higher that rate is, the lower the crime rate. The burglaries, uh, the homicides, the rapes, they all go down the higher the church attendance uh, in your city. Fascinating article uh, back in, I think it was like 2008, but, but an atheist uh, investigative reporter went to Africa and was just analyzing like poverty and, and how they could help uh, certain uh, third world countries. And, and so as he went there, he came back to London and he wrote this article. And the, the title of the article, this man was a full-blown atheist. And the article, uh, the, the heading is this, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. <laughs> Did you get that? So this guy doesn't believe in God, but he does believe, man, that these people that do believe in God, man, when they come, they transform cities. Man, they take people from po poverty into flourishing. Like he said, man, uh, nonprofits and government um, programs are great. They just don't transform. They don't last. But when churches come in, there's transformation that stays, remains, and builds on itself, right? Um, here's another one. Um, how about this? That, that church, uh, church, like church people are emotionally repressive and bad for mental health. I don't know if you ever heard this. Man, they're just a bunch of repressive prudes, you know? Uh, for the record, 
Do you know that if you're a regular church attender, uh, what research says is this, uh, you're 29% less depressed, you're five times less likely to commit suicide by regularly attending church. Uh, here's another one, they, they measured in, in 2020, uh, the pandemic, lockdown, you know what? Every segment in society, their, their mental health plummeted except for one group of people, those who regularly attended church. Uh, here's a third one. I want to tell you this, uh, and this is Harvard research. Church is great for your family. Church is great for your family. Do you know that, that the, the research, the Harvard research says this, and this isn't focused on the family. This is Harvard. And they basically said this, that if you're a regular church attender, that the, the likelihood of you getting divorced decreases by 47%. Uh, how about this? Husbands, pay attention to this, okay? The New York Times uh, wrote this article and they were, uh, they, they were researching which segment of society is having the most fulfilling sex life. And who was it? Ding, 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 ding. Uh, married couples uh, that attended church regularly, right? Come on, man. Um, parents, I wanna tell you this. Man, the church is great uh, for your children. Do you know this, that the research says this, that your kids, if your kids are regular church attenders, they have a higher GPA. Uh, they have higher rates of family satisfaction. They're 33% less likely to partake in drugs and alcohol or promiscuity, and they're 20% happier uh, than people, that, than not church going kids, right? The church is great for your family. And I'll, I'll end it with this one. If I haven't beat this horse sufficiently, do you know that uh, some people say that ch the church is just a waste of time? Uh, I want to tell you this. The research says, no, it's not. In fact, church adds to your time. In fact, um, do you know that if you're a regular church attender, uh, the odds are you're going to extend your life by seven years over a non-church attender. The church multiplies uh, your time. And so, so the first thing is church is a bride. Uh, a second metaphor is this, that our, uh, the church is a body. The church is a body. Let me read to you Ephesians 1, uh, verses 22 to 23. Uh, it says this, uh, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all uh, in all. Let me read to you uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, uh, though many are one body, and so it is uh, with Christ. And so there's this iconic uh, SNL skit. And so if you haven't seen this, shame on you. And so uh, it actually, it's this kind of uh, spoof off uh, the, the rock band Blue Oyster Cult. Uh, it's, it's way back in the day, kind of like one hit wonder. And they have this song uh, called The Reaper. And, and, it, and it begins with this kind of uh, like epic guitar rift as it's going. And then out of nowhere, there's this random cowboy, cowbell. And so Will Farrow is playing the, the cowbell guy, right? And they're showing the, this mock group uh, in the the studios and, and they get off on the guitar riff dun, 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 dun. and then all of a sudden in comes Will Ferrell just over the top beating this cowbell and, and it was funny they the band's kind of upset because this cowbell guy's getting in the way and whatnot and but the record producer comes out and he's like hey man man that sounded great but I need some more cowbell <laughs> and so uh, I got news for you man God loves cowbell 
Like, um, like I know some of us, man, we might feel like, hey, I have nothing to add to the body of Christ, to the church, and I'm nothing but just kind of a lowly cowbell guy. And I want to tell you, man, God can do great things uh, with the cowbell. Uh, man, I, introdu- I was introduced to a guy by the name of Jerry uh, Cowart uh, today. I'd never heard of him, and I just stumbled across him uh, on the internet. And man, I think you would say Jeremy uh, Cowart, he's a cowbell guy, right? Man, just a man. You know, as a young boy, he just seemed like a demonstrative failure. Like, really, anything he did, he, he didn't excel at. In fact, he took an IQ test, and all the scores bottomed up so bad. It was like uh, for uh, reading skills, like five out of a hundred, uh, comprehension five out of a hundred, mathematics skills ten out of a hundred, and so just was failed at everything. And so he created kind of his, his this own kind of security blanket, if you will. He just any he wouldn't attempt anything because he just had this line in his head, I can't, I can't. And thank God he had God-fearing, God-loving parents. Because as a young man, his father took him aside and he said, he says, Jeremy, I want to tell you this. You need to change the recording in your head and replace I can't with these words. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that became Jeremy's mantra. Whenever he felt like, oh, I can't do this, I can't do it, he replaced it with these words, I can do all things. And and so uh, he took up art and he started excelling in art. I can do all things through Christ. Uh, That he became a a graphic designer then because I can do all things through Christ. Eventually he started his own company uh, because I can do all things through Christ. And he became the photographer to to the stars, this iconic epic man because I can do all things through Christ. And then he took his success and he leveraged it uh, to help people. And uh, he started this thing called the Help Portrait Project. And here's what he did. He challenged uh, artists, uh, hairstylists, makeup artists, uh, photographers to on one day, December 2nd, to um, uh, invite uh, the poor, the broken, the downcast into their studios to make them up, to put makeup on, and to take their pictures and give them their first ever portrait of who they are and you know for these people they said it was it was life-changing one woman she had scars from acid that was on her face and it was the first time she didn't see the acid scars on her face for some disabled children it was the first time they'd ever seen themselves before and do you know what that was that was jeremy uh this this cowbell man being the hands and feet of jesus the very, bo- uh, the very body uh, of Christ. See, um, there are no insignificant parts uh, in the body of Christ. That, that all of us, man, can play our part uh, in Christ's body, the church. Uh, did you know, like in your body, do you know that your pinky finger, it's responsible for 50% of your grip strength? It, it seems like a cowbell, but it's very significant. Um, how about this? Uh, you know the appendix in your body? We don't even know what it does or, or what it's for, but you know what? When it's unhealthy uh, or gets swollen, you're going to know what it is. You can just ask uh, Paul Hack Master. Uh, in, in our church who just had his removed and put him out for a couple days. So, uh, so, so we see this and, and as well. And then some of us, we might think that, man, we are, we're more than a cowbell, man, man. We are, we are, uh, we don't need the church. And I, I want to tell you this, like, uh, like there's a, a gentleman in my church and I'm embarrassed to say this, but his name is Dan Cisco. And this dude has the coolest blue eyes I've ever seen. I know that sounds weird cause I'm a dude, but they are cool. And I just thought, man, 
But uh, you take Dan's cool eye and you take it out of his body and, and you set it up on a ledge, you know, that, that eye no longer is cool or, or beautiful. It, what? It becomes a horror show because the eye was, was created for the body and you were created for the body uh, of Christ. Um, and so, uh, so church is a, a bride, a body. Number three is church is an army. Ephesians ch- uh, 6, ch- uh, uh, verses 10 through 17, it says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord uh, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given to the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith wherewith you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. See, the, the church as an army, like, like, you know, God has called us to a fight, to a battle. And so, uh, do you know, uh, our armed forces, uh, in an attempt to, to help uh, increase recruiting, you know, get the, they'll get these little kitschy phrases like, like the army had theirs, uh, be all that you can be. Do you remember this one? And, and they have the people doing all these rugged things in the army. And, and then they swapped out that one for a fresh new one. And it was this, be an army of one. Da, 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 right? Just sounds so, so much bravado and all that. But they realized an army of one is dumb. Because what happens? An army of one gets killed. All right? So they immediately changed it to, to what today I believe it is, army strong. Because they realized we're better together. We're better together. And so uh, the, the Trinity of guy movies, uh, we, we said this in our church extensively, is Gladiator 300 and Braveheart. And uh, if, so if, if you remember uh, the movie Gladiator, man, there's this epic scene when when Maximus and, and all these uh, incarcerated misfit soldiers, they're about to be thrown out into the Colosseum where Lord knows what was waiting to tear them and rip them apart. And so Maximus, he gathers the men together before they enter the Colosseum. And he asks them, hey, which one of you have been in war before, right? And a couple guys did. One guy wets his pants, you know, and he's just like, oh my goodness. But, but he, he says these words. Um, he says, whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. And he says these words, if we stay together, we survive. Man, the gates open and they come out and these men fight together as one unit and they wipe out their opponents. And um, and so, man, listen, if you're an army of one, kind of a lone ranger Christian, here's something I know about you. I know you're failing a lot in the Christian life because we were designed, uh, man, to, to work together to help one another. Uh, here's what else I know. You're not fulfilling your purpose and the destiny of your life. And here's at the end of the day, man, you lose and we lose because you're not a part of the body of Christ. And the only one who wins is the devil. Man, man, I want to encourage you, man. You need to belong to a local body, man, your church, because we are an we're army strong. We're better together. Like a. 
it's funny, I, like I always thought the Apostle Paul was kind of this Lone Ranger Christian, and I'm grateful to Pastor Tim Delina for pointing this out to me, is that, uh, you know, like Paul, he was kind of the Jason Bourne of the New Testament. He's just all, man, he's raising the dead and planting churches and raising all his funds and, and seemingly, man, just doing it all on his own. Um, but what you don't realize, there's an army behind him. Like, and we get to see this army unveiled in Romans chapter 16. It, it's the end of the book of Romans, and he does kind of this roll call of all these people. Man, man, I want to thank Ananias uh, and Sapphira. I want to, I, I want to thank, uh, man, Silas and this person and this person. And he goes through a list, a list of some 33 or 30 to 33 people uh, in uh, his crew, his army that had helped him fulfill his mission. He's no army of one man man he is army strong he has a group of people behind him and with him and so i I love too that our text in ephesians uh, it says that man our struggle is not against flesh and blood our struggle is not against flesh and blood and as we approach an election year our struggle is not against flesh and blood all right and so uh uh, I don't know if you got, you recall if we got any Star Wars nerds here, but but we had uh, they used to have these Star Wars little action figures. Man, you could just buy all kinds of things. Man, we had Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Chewbacca, you know, all these different things. And so uh, the Chris the Christian community decided, hey, let's do knockoff ones, and we'll do Bible characters. And so, man, you could buy like little little Noah, little David, little Jesus, man, the Apostle Paul, all these different things. And and so, but here's what they didn't do. Uh, they didn't create an adversary or an opponent. And so what happened, parents were writing in and they're like, hey man, we, I, got, I got Moses is fighting David. And, and then Noah is beating up Jesus, right? Because they didn't have an adversary to fight. So they had them fight one another. And I thought, whoa, isn't that a picture? When you and I you lose sight of the fact that we don't struggle against flesh and blood, against principalities, man, you're not my enemy and I'm not your enemy, but we have an, advers- an enemy, an adversary called the devil. Uh, if you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan, man, there's this uh, amazing scene where, where man, the, 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 the group of men assigned to rescue uh, Private Ryan and bring him back, um, there, there's just all this stress from the fatigue and the PTSD of, of war and death all around them until finally the men are just at their wits end and they snap and they start turning against one another and they all pull, pull guns on one another. They're ready to shoot each other. But, but Tom Hanks, a.k.a. Captain Miller, He's able to call him, whoa, 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 whoa. And he says, uh, he says hey, man, uh, w- w- what's the pool up to? What's the bet up to? See, they had this ongoing bet because no one could figure out what Captain Miller did uh, in his civilian life stateside. And so whoever guessed it, they were going to win all this money in, in this pool that the men had together. And he says, uh, I love Tom Hanks says this, as the men slowly start to put their, their weapons down, he says this, I'm a school teacher. I teach English composition in this little town of Adley, Pennsylvania. He says, the last 11 years, I've been at Thomas Alva Edison High School. I was a coach of the baseball team in the springtime back home. I tell people what I do for a living, and they think, well, now that figures. He says, but over here, over here, it's a big, big mystery. And so I guess I've changed some. He says, sometimes I wonder if I've changed so much my wife is even going to recognize me whenever it is that I get back to her. See, and in that moment, man, everything disappeared, and these men all realized something. There's another world. There's a, there's a world stateside, uh, away from war, a place where there's peace, 
where there's people, there's humanity, there's dignity, right? He was reminding us, them, that they're a part of another world. And, and that brought them back to themselves. And they realized, hey, you're not my enemy and I'm not your enemy. And in a real way, do you know that, that you and I were, were citizens of heaven, citizens of the kingdom of God? Right now, we're in a time and a place of war. Man, we're at battle uh, with the enemies, principalities and powers, man, against forces of evil, evil, trying to push back evil, man, and usher in the good, glorious work uh, of the love of God. But, but until that time, man, we fight and we battle. But I got good news for you. There's coming a day. What our king is going to crack the sky open and he's going to come back again and he's going to once and for all do away with sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he's prom- the promises he's going to make all things new again. Let's pray. Father, we just uh, thank you for this time that we could gather together. And Lord, I, I, I know you've heard my prayer. Uh, Lord, my prayer is today that anyone within earshot uh, of my voice, of this talk today, Oh, God, I pray for the conviction and the arresting of the Holy Spirit. God, you promised that you said in the Psalms that that you take the solitary and you set them into family. Lord, I pray that anyone that feels orphaned or alone out of the family of God, the kingdom of God, Lord, may you place them in a local body uh, of believers. Lord, I pray it in Jesus' name. God, thank you for your church. May your face smile upon us and give us grace. Amen. Well, listen, the, uh, the the sermon's over with, but we're not quite finished. Uh, I want to remind you that you can be faithful in your, your tithing and your giving. And, and for the record, we talked about, about the church as the hands and the feet of Jesus. And, and I want to let you know, like right here in every nation, New Jersey, do you know that uh, uh, during our big gift campaign that we raised upwards of $28,000 and we were able to give it away to ministries like Prison in the Wild that are that are helping minister to the incarcerated and to the correction officers. Um, that we, we gave it to uh, uh, New City Kids. Uh, they deal with uh, at-risk youth. And they're, they're re- in all reality, they're, they're ending generational poverty in these young people's lives. And so, uh, and you know, every time that you tithe and you give here to Every Nation New Jersey, do you know that 21% of it, uh, we go and we give back to world missions, local missions, and, and helping the poor. And so you are the hands and feet of Jesus as you're faithful and you're tithing and you're giving. There's three ways you can give if you just uh, you can go to our website, encnj.org, and just hit the giving icon. Uh, or you can give via text if you text the letters ENCNJ to the number 77977. It's a very convenient way to give. That's how my family and I give. Uh, or you can mail in your check or money order right here to our church offices at 101 Gibraltar Drive right here in Morris Plains, New Jersey. And may God richly bless you as you're faithful in your tithing and your giving. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. Every nation, man, Jesus loves you. And I think you're pretty great too. Have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to the Every Nation New Jersey podcast. For more information on our church, or if you'd like to give a financial gift, just go to our website, emcnj.org.